We're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. Usually I have to work a little bit on a hook to try to get you to say, yeah, I'll listen to that. My hook today is one word, demons. Either you're like, yes, I can't wait. Or you're like, this is going to get weird. Oh, great. Either way, you're interested. Hook done. (laughs) So if you know Daniel 10, it's very interesting because it kind of begins to open up a window into a different realm. So let's read it and then we'll talk a bit. Daniel 10 verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So he is now seeking God. If you know Daniel's book, this is the section where he's getting these visions, beasts coming out of the sea, just crazy stuff, horns and just crazy stuff. So now he's like, ah, all this weight of these visions, I need education, I need to seek God. So he begins to fast and pray. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. So he's fasting, he's praying, he's out in creation at this river when all of a sudden, this being, this glorious being shows up. He passes out, verse 10 tells us, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, day one of three weeks, your words have been heard and I've come because of your words. So day one, this angel is sent down to Daniel. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael One of the chief priests came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Every Bible student should say, what? (laughs) What in the world is that? Daniel fasts, prays for 21 days straight. An angel shows up. Says, hey, sorry, bro, I'm late. I was supposed to come here three weeks ago, but I couldn't make it through because of this prince of Persia who wouldn't let me go through. So I had to call for backup. So Michael, this archangel, he comes and helps me. I got through, 
But verse 20 tells us that when I'm done with you, I got to go back and fight the battle again. And when we're done with the prince of Persia, we have to go to this other king, the king of Greece as well, or this prince of Greece. And every Bible student says, what? (laughs) If you read the Bible seriously, there should be a lot of times where you just say, what? This is one of them. So we're going to talk about that realm. And I always begin this kind of talk by saying there's two dangers when it comes to the spirit realm, demons. One danger is this. I call it the fetish. Where people just, they get all like everything is demonic. Whatever happens to you, it's because Satan did it. So Satan becomes like Google, knows everything, is all powerful, causes everything, right? So you have a bad day, you're You have a bad car, you have a bad job, you have a bad boss. Who's at fault? Satan's at fault. Like he causes everything. And I kind of grew up with a little bit of that. Um, I remember in the ninth grade going to youth group and we watched these videos called Hell's Bells. Anybody watch those? It's kind of dated now, but for, for my age group, that was like, you watched these. It was Hell's Bells one, two, and three. And the whole thing was this that inside of secular music, there was these codes, backmasking, that you did not know it, but as you're listening to this song, it's gonna reprogram your brain and you will immediately go out and like bite the head off a bat and kill your neighbor. And that was just like, that's gonna happen to you. So look out. And like, it was like commonplace. Like, so you're listening to the radio and a song comes on. Like, oh, Sherry, you're all alone. Hall of gold, all alone. You're like, oh, I hate my neighbor. And you just go kill them. And you're taken down to the police department and they're they're bringing you like, what'd you do? Killed my neighbor. Were you listening to the radio? Yeah. Did you hear, oh, Sherry? Yeah. Oh, join all the other kids over there. They did it too. There's like a group of like a hundred of us who killed their neighbors. You're like, really? I just don't know. That doesn't seem right to me, right? So, That's that one side where it just gets weird. You're late for work and it's Satan's fault. Like, why is it Satan's fault? Because my car backfired six times. And then a puff of smoke came out and it looked like the number six. And it was right at 6 a.m. Okay? You don't need any more evidence for that. Six, 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 right? Satan did it to me. No, bro. Satan did not do that to you. You're driving a Volkswagen. That's what did it to you. (laughs) It's going to happen more frequently. Right? So that's the one side. It's like this fetish. Everything is. But then the other side is that this whole spirit realm is a fantasy. It doesn't really exist. We're more modern. It's like outdated, like the telegraph. Like, oh, come on. We don't believe that anymore. So then... That mindset, what that feeds into is, okay, so if you ever have a problem or an issue, it cannot be spiritual. It's physical or it's chemical or it's some other, you can explain it away. And as Christians, it's like, okay, how much of the Bible have you been reading? Do you have some kind of unconfessed sin? Have you, we just go down our list, right? Because it's not actually demonic or spiritual. It's some kind of physical issue or some kind of secret sin that you've done. We become Job's friends. When really Job chapter one tells us, actually it's spiritual. This attack is spiritual, okay? So those are the two dangers. My hope in this chapter is to get us to what I think is the right position, which is 
to be aware, but not to be worried. I think that's the right position. That we as believers in Jesus, we're not worried about that realm, but we should be aware of it. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. It tells us, look out, he can masquerade as an angel of light. Like there's these warnings, you better be aware, but don't be worried because greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world, All right? So Daniel 10 is one of those texts that causes us to kind of ponder and think about the spirit realm. And I just want to try to educate us a little bit and then make a little bit of application at the end. I wanna notice a couple of things in here. Number one, notice this. I think this is important. The catalyst for all this. Like what leads to this cosmic battle in the spirit realm for 21 days between this angel and Michael and whatever it is, the prince of Persia? What leads up to it? What leads up to Daniel wanting to engage in this? Is Daniel dabbling in the dark arts? Mm -mm. Has he got a Ouija board out and doing a seance? No. Does he have some kind of a a tribal mask that has a demon in it and it becomes a portal for this stuff to enter into his life? No, which was part of my upbringing. Like I can remember, and it's so funny because I had this illustration and then I'll talk to people and they'll be like, man, I heard that same illustration when I was your age. So I was like eight years old, I'm in this church and this preacher is talking about this couple that went to Africa. And while they're in Africa, they picked up some, a tribal mask and some other things. And they came home and they made this nice little glass case where they put the tribal mask in there and the the artifacts in this little case in their hallway. And then time goes by and their son starts having these nightmares. Like, what's going on? Why why is my kid having these really, really, really satanic nightmares? So this pastor comes in and looks at their house and sees the mask on the wall. He's like, that's the problem. The demons are getting access to your home because that's in your home and they're coming through that. And so this couple gets rid of the mask and they live happily ever after. So that's like in my brain. Well, I go as a missionary to Vanuatu, which has a lot of witchcraft in it. Uh, These students, they're they're men. They would be telling me about stories growing up. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. So uh, graduation day comes. I'm there with them for a year. They make me a gift. They make me a tribal mask. (laughs) And they make me a tribal staff that has an evil face on one side and a good face on the other side. And I'm like, oh no. Well, Dave Corson, the principal, who could probably be a mind reader, is like, Matt, know this. When you get back to the States, there will be people that say, oh, you shouldn't have that. You shouldn't have that. Those are demonic. You shouldn't have that. Tell those people to shut up. This was made by students who love you and have prayed about what to give you. And I said, well, if you think that way, then you can have the demon mask. (laughs) So I have some of that in me. Like, is there these catalysts? Now, I will say this. If you are dabbling in dark stuff, totally, look out. The occult, witchcraft, seances, Absolutely. To me, it's like um, you're sending out a giant Wi-Fi signal to the spirit realm saying, I'm stupid, attack me. Okay? So yes, there can be that, totally. However, why is Daniel attacked? Because he's godly. That's why. Because he's fasting and praying and seeking God. 
And I think we have to recognize that because at times we will stigmatize people that end up being attacked. And then we're like, oh, you must have done something wrong. No, Daniel was doing everything right. That's why he got attacked. That's a pattern in scripture. Why is Job singled out in Job chapter one? Because he was the most righteous man on planet earth and he gets attacked by Satan, right? He's the brightest light. Why is Paul attacked? Right? The Bible says that a messenger of Satan was sent to him to buffet his flesh. Why? Because of all the revelations that was given to him, because he was literally writing the Bible. And so he's attacked for that. Jesus, Jesus is attacked by Satan, Matthew chapter four. Now think about that for a second. Why was Jesus attacked? Was there some secret sin in his past? No. Was there some kind of generational curse that his father had because of sin that his father had dabbled in? Obviously not. Why was he attacked? Because he was the brightest light on earth. Okay? So I think you have to get that. That at times, you and I can be the the front of an attack from the enemy because we're the brightest light, not because we're in some kind of sin. And my hope is personally that I become on the enemy's top 10 list because it means, man, Grant's past is being changed. Something is happening here. It's being transformed. Praise God. That's what I want. I want to be the brightest light. So don't stigmatize people for this. Yes, there's junk you get involved in that make you totally, but being righteous, being a bright light can also mean you'll be attacked. It can be the catalyst. So that's number one. Number two, notice this. The territory. This is what Daniel kind of intrigues a lot of people about, right? You have verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, whatever that means, Wednesday we'll talk a little bit more about that. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. So Daniel starts to pray. This angel, who is probably Gabriel, is sent down. He comes down, and before he can get to Daniel, whatever the dimensions are, whatever's happening there, before he can get there, there's another force that says, no, you ain't coming through, and puts up whatever, force field, I don't know, battle, how do they battle? I don't know any of those questions. All it tells us is that for 21 days, this angel is not allowed through until he gets help from Michael, and by getting help from Michael, the angel gets through, but the battle isn't over. He says, I got to go right back to this battle, verse 20. And then after we're done with this guy, we got to go to this other guy. How crazy is that? And all the Bible students say, what? So is Daniel an anomaly when it comes to this idea that, that maybe there are powers over regions? Is he the anomaly in that kind of idea? Like, are there powers over regions? Is there a power over the city of Grants Pass? Is there a power over 7-Eleven? Because it sure seems like it to me. Man, <laughs> if you work at 7-Eleven, God bless you, be a bright light there. Right? Like, that's what this thing is causing us to question. Well, I'm going to take a kind of deep dive here, but I'll try to keep it as light as possible. At some point, we'll do a Thursday theology class on this. But turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy 32, because Daniel's not alone in this idea. I think it's actually a theology that's built through Scripture, okay? So 
Deuteronomy 32, verse 7. I'm going to go really fast. I'm not going to explain everything that I say. You're going to have to either believe me or not. It's up to you. Verse 7. Remember the days of old. That is a reference to Genesis 1 through 11. If you know the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11 is all nations. Genesis 12 through 50 is now Abrahamic covenant Israel. There's a move there. So it's pre-Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 1 through 11. It's referring to that time. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. Here's the key, verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, territories. When he divided mankind. When was mankind divided in Genesis 1 through 11? Tower of Babel, right? When they shook their fist at God and they said, God, we don't want you to be over us. Yahweh, we don't need you. We'll make our own way, our own gate. Babel means gate to God. We'll make our own gate to you. We'll build our own tower. We'll unite against you, right? So he divides them. And he fixed the borders of the people. And here's the key. According to the number of the sons of God. So what's being said there is this, Tower of Babel. People said, God, we don't need you anymore. We're going to do our own thing. God says, fine, I'll let you go. And then he gives them over to the sons of God, the Benai Elohim in the Hebrew. They've showed up in Genesis chapter six, something weird there. They showed up in the book of Job, something weird there. And then they show up right here. And what it appears is happening is this. The people that say, we don't want Yahweh anymore. We want our own God. God says, fine, you can have them. And these sons of God are little G gods. And if you keep reading, um, I'll read a couple of verses. Verse 18, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. The word God there is Elohim. Elohim is not Yahweh's name, right? Elohim is a title. It's like president. So these strange little gods, with abomination, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no Elohims, to Elohims they had never known before, to new Elohims they had never recently been. So there's this, it's a very, very interesting section of scripture. But it's simply saying this, at the Tower of Babel, when you guys said, we don't want Yahweh over us anymore, God said, fine, I'm gonna give you your own little G God. And then verse nine says this, but Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. God says, fine, you can serve whatever Elohim you want. I will take Israel, Jacob, in my land, the land of Israel, and they will be a shining light to show out to the rest of the world what it looks like when you serve Yahweh, okay? If you read the Bible, what you see is this. Over and over, there are these little G-gods that are said, this is the God of this group. So Ashtoreth is called the Elohim of the Sidonians. Milcom is called the Elohim, the God of the Ammonites. Chemosh is called the Elohim of the Moabites. Dagon is called the Elohim of the Philistines. You can go on and on and on. That each little region 
has their own power, if you would, that God that they're given over to that they become, right? So that's what this text to me appears to be saying, that there will be these powers. There will be these things. And really, if you look at the Bible, there's really, it's a massive battle between two cities. Babylon, which exemplifies everything that's evil and bad, and Jerusalem, which is God's city. And it goes all the way into these two powers, all the way into Revelation 17 and 18, when finally Babylon is destroyed, and then out of the ashes comes New Jerusalem, chapter 21, the place where we were designed to live in shalom with our creator for eternity, that the, the, eventually the city of God wins. So it does seem to me that there's territorial stuff. And I think sometimes you look around countries and there's regions that are given over to certain kinds of sins. Las Vegas, the mafia in Jersey, San Francisco, right? There's just like, that seems to be a predominant way of that region. And I've walked into, in India, like temples in India or voodoo houses in Haiti where I have sent something in that place that makes it hard to breathe. Where it's just like, I can't explain what's happening right now, but I don't like it and I'm leaving. And it's almost like there is a power, a mm, in that spot right there. So what do we do? Certain parts of the church will have these territorial spirit warfare things where they go out on the streets of whatever their city is and they try to pray out that territorial spirit or they try to get the name of it so they can cast it out. Are we supposed to be doing that? I don't believe so. And the reason is Jesus never did it. And I think you see a very good example in Acts chapter 19 where there is some kind of, it's, it's a crazy chapter, right? All kinds of spiritual activity, right? These guys try to cast a demon out of a guy, these seven sons of Sceva try to cast a demon out of a guy and he gets up, fights them, trips them naked and sends them out of the house. You guys remember the story? Like know this, if you go to a fight with your pants on and you leave without pants, you lost, right? <laughs> they lost. <laughs> this demon destroys them. And so there's this craziness there. But you know what? Paul never goes around marching and trying to cast out the territory of the demon. You know what he keeps doing? Preaching the kingdom. Jesus has come. He's greater than that. Believe in Jesus. That's what we keep doing. So yes, it seems like there's some kind of territorial thing, but I don't think we freak out about it. We're aware of it. And we keep preaching Jesus and living like Daniel as bright lights in our city. That's what we just keep doing. Yes, we're aware of it. Okay, no problem. I'm still elevate Jesus because he's the one that draws all people to himself. All right, so the catalyst... It's his godliness. Seems like there might be something about territorialness. And then thirdly and lastly is the ripple effect. So Daniel, because of this battle that's over in this other region, wherever it is, wherever it's happening, the Bible doesn't seem to tell us, wherever it's happening, he for three weeks, fasting, depressed, anxiety, worried, wondering, all because of a battle that was taking place over there. Have you ever, for no reason that you can understand, all of a sudden just felt greatly depressed? You're just wondering like, why am I so depressed right now? 
Have you ever been gripped with so much anxiety that you're just, you think you're going to lose it? And you're going, why am I so anxious right now? Have you ever been driving in your car and been reminded of somebody that you're mad at from decades ago? And you're like, where did that thought come from? Anybody? I wonder if we aren't feeling some of the ripple effect, I call it, from the spiritual realm. I wonder if that's where it's coming from. I think the Bible says that's what happens. So the psalmist would say this, Psalm 42, verse five. He would say, oh my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Like, what's going on right now? Life is good, it's brilliant, it's beautiful. Why do I feel this way? Well, could it be the ripple effect? Man, that's freaking me out. Okay, let me show you that I think you see this often in Scripture. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has just declared he's God, he's Messiah, right? It's been a confession by Peter, and then, says, and then Jesus says, because I'm God, I'm going to the cross. And then Peter, it says, took him aside and rebuked him. Major bad move is rebuking Jesus. And so Jesus, verse 23, looks at Peter and says this, Satan, get thee behind me. Looks at Peter and says, Satan, get thee behind me. Who is Jesus talking to? Peter or Satan? Yes. Right? He looks at Peter and says, Satan, get thee behind me. Yeah. It's Peter a person that has free will is somehow allowing the, the lapping over of that spirit realm to affect him, right? So Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a house um, for a set amount of money, but they acted like they gave all the money to the church when they actually gave whatever half or something. And so Peter's like, hey, Ananias, did you sell the house for this much? Yes. And then Peter says this, it's really interesting. He goes, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in the very next verse, he says this, why have you contrived in your heart to lie? Who lied, Satan or Ananias? Yes, it's the lap over, the, the ripple effect of that kingdom of darkness affecting people. You can look at Acts 13 for another example. There's a ton of them. I can go on and on and on. But there is some kind of a ripple effect from that realm that if we do not identify it, look out. We'll misdiagnose. So I have a friend who's a, um, he's a counselor in Southern Oregon, and I, and I really like him. We've had some good conversations about, uh, he's a licensed, you know, he does this for a living. And so we talk about some people they get depressed or they have problems because of environment, you know, because of, they're a bad photocopy of a bad photocopy, so they don't have skills that they need. Uh, some need cognitive behavioral therapy, a new way of thinking, and I think that's great. Some it's physical, some it's chemical, and we'll, we'll talk about all these things, but we'll also talk about, there's another dimension. Sometimes there's evil. Sometimes it's spiritual, right? So I don't know what it was, a year ago, 14 months ago, he emails me, hey, I've got a woman 
that I've been working with for quite a while, and I don't know. It's something else. She needs to meet with you. I said, great. So I meet with her just right over here in these little offices. And I'm meeting in this room with her, and I'm asking her some questions, and just a lot of rage and a lot of pain, a lot of anger is coming out. Very, very colorful. And maybe 15 minutes in, she just takes her fist, and she just starts to punch herself in the head about 10 times in a row, just it, where you can hear it. And you know, like you can just start seeing a welt in red and like, oh, that's going to leave a mark. And I'm, I'm in that room, and when someone does something like that, the room changes. Like I could palpably feel like, oh, my goodness. Oh, like the hair on my neck is starting to stand up. So I said to this lady, I said, I'm not going to keep going until you pray. She goes, I'm not praying. I said, well, then I'm not going on. You've got to pray. And I said, when you pray, I don't want you to use the word Lord, and I don't want you to use the word just. And the reason why I do things like that is because I want you to think through your prayer. I want your brain to be engaged, not using those, not that you shouldn't use those words, but in this instance, I don't want you to use them because I want you to really think about your prayer. And then I just bowed my head. And I'm telling you, for at least four or five minutes, there was nothing, which is, feels like 40 years, especially with your head bowed and your eyes closed with a woman that just hit herself 10 times. You're like, is she coming after me right now? Ah, right? There's a little bit of that, like, I hope this is going to work. And then she started praying. And it was very angry prayer. And then all of a sudden she broke and she just started crying and she started praying in a way that I, don't, I can't even explain it to this day. It was brilliant. And she prayed on and on and on and on, just crying for probably eight minutes. And then when she was done, I started praying. I made it 10 seconds. And I'm not a baller. Like, I don't, I don't just cry. I'm, pretty, I'm an engineer, so I'm very, like, factual. But I prayed for 10 seconds, and then I just started bawling. Ugly, ugly bawling. And I don't ugly ball. I just ugly, I don't know why. But in that moment, I could feel that room change. It went from dark and oppressive and something wrong to all of a sudden it was like, ha, ah, there's light in this room. There was light. And so she left and my buddy emailed me back a couple days later when he met with her. She just, he said, that's unbelievable. She's been transformed. And then she sent me this letter. I'll read it for you. And this is what she said. I'll keep it anonymous, but here's what she wrote. Dear Matt, I was calm and peaceful on the drive home. I remembered what I was saying to you as I felt I was in the dust of death. I heard my rebellion and doubt and followed it throughout the last one and a half years. I repented faster. Freedom dawned on me, total freedom. In that freedom and grace, I repented of everything, of my resent and experiences was exhausted, went to sleep, and woke up with holy laughter at my foolishness. And now my restored soul and mind, I am 100%. Acts 9, 5, I was kicking against the goads, then healed, no longer alone. Hallelujah. Yeah. I say that, not to toot my horn, I didn't do anything. I cried. Every one of us can do that. But because if you don't know, 
that there are spiritual forces at work. They'll try to fix spiritual problems with the wrong things. And it's like putting a Band-Aid on a tumor. It'll never work. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 says this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. They're spiritual. We use spiritual tools to deal with spiritual problems. And you gotta identify them. That is a spiritual problem, okay? And that's what I want you to know. Be aware, but don't be worried, okay? So what do we do then? I think some in this room need to do Acts 19. When that demonic thing happened and that dude was beat up and, or that demon-possessed dude beat up seven dudes and stripped them naked, you know how the church responded? They took all their dark arts, they made a pile of them, and they burned them. I got to stop dabbling in that stuff. That is dangerous. There's a real realm to that. Listen to me. The occult is making a massive comeback. It's woven now into so many kids' cartoons, right? I, I watched Kung Fu Panda. I almost watched out of Kung Fu Panda number three because so much of it was occultic. I'm like, they're grooming kids. That's what's happening. And we need to be aware of that. Like, be careful. That stuff will begin to play into your mind and soften you and make you unaware of, oh, they're coming. They're landing with this stuff. Be careful. Drugs, Ouija boards, witchcraft. I mean, that's, it's, you're sending out a giant, um, I hate using Lord of the Rings. But you know when he puts on the ring? He disappears from the physical. But what happens in the other realm? The bad dudes see him. I think that's what happens. When you get involved in certain things, you're putting on a ring or something that allows that. Look at that. Sends out a beacon. Be careful. Some need to do Acts 19. Get rid of that stuff. And what I tell people is this. Listen, Satan's trying to offer you a Big Mac when Jesus is offering you filet mignon. Come on. A Big Mac's going to destroy you. Cholesterol, filet mignon. He's got so much better for you. Eat this. Come into the kingdom. Come into the light. Are you kidding me? Burn the junk. Number two, love Jesus and don't fear that stuff. Don't worry about it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I don't worry about the demonic. I'm aware of it, but I'm not worried about it because I don't have to. Guess who fights demons? Angels do, right here. The book of Jude says the same thing. They t- that, man, that's them. My job is to love people and to share Jesus and to stay away from dark stuff. I'm not worried about that. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. No, I'm not gonna get get at all worried about that. And then lastly is this, um, stop believing their lies. I think the enemy is super good at putting lies into people's heads to take away Genesis 1, which is you and me as image bearers of God. That he's always trying to take away that he hates that you and I are image bearers of God. And the one thing he wants to do to you and me is this, I want to destroy you as an image bearer of God. So he says to men, you're inadequate. You'll never, you're a fake You'll never make it, right? Because that hurts us as image bearers of God. To women, it's you're unlovely. You're damaged goods. No one's gonna marry you. No one's gonna love you. You're a fat pig. Those are lies of the enemy to take you out of your image bearing capacity. And it takes no faith to believe the lies of the devil. Stop believing them. 
believe what Jesus says about you. You are greatly loved. You are a king. You are a queen in training. You will rule and reign with me for eternity. Everything that the enemy accuses you of, Colossians chapter two, I took to the cross and I nailed it and it's paid in full. Quit repaying sins I paid for. Quit it. Don't believe that. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind. It takes faith to believe those things. It takes no faith to believe the lies of the enemy. Stop believing his lies. For some, it's burn the junk. And for others of us, it's just believe what Jesus says about you. His word matters. Satan is a liar. He wants to rip and steal and take who you are in Christ away from you because he hates it. And so Jesus today, we pray that we would be a community that shines bright in Grant's Pass, a beacon of hope, a beacon of light, that we're all on the enemy's top 10 list because we are so bright and we're affecting Grant's past for change and for your kingdom. Give us spirits of love and power and soundness of mind. And even now, take away any spirit of fear because that's not from you. We know that greater are you than he that's in the world. We have nothing to worry about. I pray for men and women in here who are dabbling in stuff they should not. May they burn it today. I pray for men and women in here where we have believed a lie. Reshape us. May your word today dwell inside of us. May it become incarnational. May it take root in us. And may we know who we are in you. We're greatly loved future kings and queens. We're saints of the most high. Though our sins were like scarlet, now they've been made white as snow. That we are beautiful to you. That you've taken our shame and you give us double. May we believe what you say about us. That we're image bearers of the creator of the universe. And we believe that. I pray as we go to the table. I pray that you would do the indescribable work that can happen where faith is set on fire, where hearts are cleansed, where mindsets are reset, where you have clarity of thought, where you're given your mind. May that happen at the table today, I pray. And I ask this in your name.